Good morning and welcome to worship. My name is Dawson Taylor and I have the privilege of serving as senior minister here at Naples United Church of Christ in Naples, Florida. No matter if you're joining us via live stream, Facebook Live, or if you download our podcast, we're grateful for your presence here this morning. And especially in the midst of pandemic, we're grateful for the gift of technology and the ways that it unites us and allows us to be together. It's wonderful to be back with you this week. I'm grateful to Reverend Dr. David Kaiser Cross, our executive minister, and Reverend Dr. Sharon Harris Ewing, our assistant minister, who filled in last week and allowed me a week uh, away to catch my breath. And of course, our prayers continue to be with Reverend Dr. Deb Kaiser Cross as she is away to be with family during this time. We hope that following worship today that you'll join us for our virtual gathering place. This is a really wonderful time to be together as best we know how. Our clergy team and other staff are also present and we hope you'll join us for a time. It lasts for 30 minutes and it's a great time to catch up and to let us know how you're doing no matter where you are. If you didn't get the email that has a button that you click to join the virtual gathering place, or if you need the information on how to join, please give the church office a call during worship. Uh, to, now is a great time to do that. And you can reach us at 239-261-5469. And someone on the staff will be happy to get that link to you. Again, we'll need your name, your email address, and your phone number to ensure that we get the link to the right place. This Friday, we continue uh, a new tradition, at least new now that we are in the times that we're living in, and that is our communion, Cans for Communion drop-off, which benefits the Grace Place Food Bank. And also, you can pick up communion elements for next Sunday. Obviously, next Sunday being the first Sunday of August means it's a communion Sunday. So I, I want to say personal words of gratitude to our board of mission and outreach for their continued partnership with Grace Place and our board of deacons for ensuring that you have communion elements if you so desire. This Wednesday night at 5 p.m. is the last in our series on a sacred conversations on race and privilege. It will be hosted by our newly formed Justice Committee. And again, I'm grateful to them for their hard work on helping us really look at what we need to do now and what we can do in our local communities to continue to address the issues that have been raised over the last seven weeks. We'll be joined by the local president of the Collier chapter of the NAACP, Vincent Keyes, as well as Jim and Harriet Lancaster, who are uh, wonderful members of our community and great advocates for inclusion and justice. And so I hope that you'll join us this Wednesday at 5 p.m. If you're unable to join us, please remember that all of these uh, sacred conversations are archived on our website. And lastly, I'm excited to share with you that next Sunday, we will be releasing a new virtual choir video 
you'll recognize many of the almost 40 faces and you will see many of those familiar choir faces from across the country. And so I hope that you'll make plans to be in worship with us next week as we release this new virtual choir video. These always uh, make my heart so happy to see members of our choir and to hear the beautiful music. And so I know next week we'll be uh, equally moving and I'll admit I've gotten a sneak peek and it is wonderful. So I hope that you'll make plans to be a part of the worship to get to see that. And so let us as an intergenerational congregation center our hearts and minds as we prepare for worship this morning. Will you join your hearts with mine in prayer? Let us pray. Loving and gracious God, we continue to give you thanks for the gift of this day. And in this time of worship, O oh God, we ask that you would speak either through me or in spite of me, but that above all else we would hear with clarity what it is that you say to us this day. All of this we trust and we ask in your many names. Amen. In the mid-1950s, a 14-year-old boy traveled from Chicago to the Delta of Mississippi to meet his extended family for the first time. Having never lived or traveled in the South, his mother warned him, if a white man even looks at you in your eye, look away. On August 24th, this young man went with some neighborhood children in the area where he was visiting his family to Bryant's Grocery and Meat Market. A store owned by a young white couple, Roy and Carolyn Bryant. His decision that Sunday morning to go with those friends to buy candy would be a decision that would prove fatal. The facts of what happened in the store that day are still in dispute to this very day. Some claim that... This young man was outside the store with a class picture from his class in Chicago, bragging that he was in an interracial relationship with a white girl up north, and that he whistled at the store's female white owner. Other accounts claim that the young man made a lewd remark to that same woman inside the store, grabbing her by the hand and then asking her on a date. No matter what actually happened that day in the varying accounts, what happened four days later has never been disputed because the two white men who perpetrated the crime admitted it in an interview with Look Magazine 
after being found innocent by an all-white jury. Four days after the incident at the store, in the middle of the night, those two men burst into the boy's family's home and took that boy from his bed while his family watched powerless to what was happening. And he would never be seen alive again. The 14-year-old was beaten, shot, and his body was thrown into a river and tied to an industrial fan so that it would not float to the top. Of course, that 14-year-old boy was Emmett Till. His body was taken back to Chicago for his funeral. And his mother, Mamie Till Mobley, despite her unimaginable grief, had the foresight to insist upon an open casket so that the world would see what had been done to her baby boy. I heard a commentator recently when talking about this moment in the civil rights movement say that if the civil rights movement was a car, Mamie Till Mobley's decision was premium gasoline that moved justice forward. However, there's an additional detail to this story that only began unfolding four years ago when Congress reauthorized an investigation into Till's death. Carolyn Bryant Donham, the so-called victim of the events that day, broke her six-decade silence about the events to Timothy B. Tyson, a Duke University professor and author of the book, The Blood of Emmett Till. In it, he wrote that she said of her long ago allegations that Emmett grabbed her and was menacing and sexually crude toward her were, quote, that part is not true, end quote. So is it conceivable that this horrific crime and watershed moment in the civil rights movement is it conceivable that it is rooted in fabrication at, or at best details taken out of context or misconstrued? In this morning's scripture reading, Jesus tells a series of short, rapid parables. While they each have merit, what caught my attention 
is verse 51. At the end of the reading, when Jesus is saying, Have you understood all this? They answered, Yes. In one sitting, you have parables about a mustard seed, yeast, a hidden treasure, a merchant, and a net. And then, for good measure, there's some weeping and gnashing of teeth thrown in as well. And then Jesus abruptly says, Have you understood all this? And in my mind's eye, I can see the disciples with this glazed-over look in their eyes, nodding and, and simply saying, yes. Thinking to themselves, if we just say yes, hopefully he'll move on to something else. And we can get past this. It would be like if someone said to us, have you understood why someone would potentially lie or stay silent for over 60 years about something that caused so much pain and so much division in our nation? We might simply nod and say yes so that we could move along in hopes that we might understand it later in life. What I love about our reading today is how it shows God at work. The realm of God becomes a verb, not a noun. It is an action, not an object. In the parables, Jesus is not really comparing the realm of God to five things, but to five actions. Jesus does not say the realm of heaven is like a pearl, but rather it's like it is a merchant in search of a pearl. The realm is like a mustard seed that someone took and sowed in a field in which they grew, like yeast that a woman took and mixed and then leavened, like a treasure that someone found and hid, like a net that was thrown and then caught things. All of these things, mustard seed, yeast, a net, a treasure, a pearl, are useless if they are not put to work and used in some way. Likewise, the realm of God is not some lifeless, inanimate object that we can simply look at, put on a shelf, appreciate, and study. It is the very life and purpose of God put into action for us and for others. 
Because that is the gospel. That is the good news of our faith. God is at work, not just in some exotic, far-off place that requires a special GPS system. God is at work right here, right now, in the ordinary, every day of our lives. The all-too-often part of our lives that are touched by tragedy. This is where God is at work. Now, this is not denial or pie-in-the-sky thinking. Not everything that happens to us is good. Evil is real. Sin is real. Bad decisions are real. But what Scripture proclaims and we as people of faith believe is that God's final word is about hope, not about rejection. God is at work, and what God does in and through us may sometimes appear insignificant. But the reign of God grows so that our lives And this church can be places of refuge and nurture. God's work at times can seem nearly invisible, but in changing us from the inside out, we become the people that God has created us to be. The reign of God is love at work because life is so precious that we cannot help but seek it out. And so in these days of challenge, let us know. Let us know with complete certainty from the deepest depths of our soul that God's work is not a noun. Rather, it is a verb. God's love is in action all around us. And with that reminder, let us heed the call to be the vessels of that love for all of the places where we find ourselves and have our being this day. For perhaps, perhaps there is no greater message for us than the message of God's love at work in the ordinary every day of our lives. Have you understood all this?